Well, uh, Chris, all you need to know about uh, the rise of Brew is that there are these minions, right? There are these little yellow guys with uh, with one eye. They wear uh, workmanlike uh, overalls. They're of the people. They're very much uh, proletariat uh, characters, and they they cause a lot of mischief. They get into some hijinks. Yep. This is an origin story. Yes. Yeah, because everybody needed the the backstory on on our favorite anthropomorphic banana flavored jelly beans with <laughs> actual butt cracks. I think yep. that the uh, what you call it people the um, universal people really have a lot riding on it with their theme parks. So the more minions, the better. You mentioned theme parks a lot, and that is absolutely brand extension. And I know right now in a, I mean, we're not post COVID, but post uh, peak COVID, I guess, theme parks are coming back in a huge way. Like they are like surpassing numbers that were, you know, summer of 2019. A Like a minions ride would be fine, even without a movie to, to hang it on or the, person in the minions costume the you know luckless soul who's been oh, damned to <laughs> that existence <laughs> whatever they did in their past life to cause such such suffering in, in their present one of the circles of hell uh i imagine is uh you're just trapped with minions and speaking in their minion language and you don't know what they're saying and that's your entire eternity is just never being able to understand what the minions are saying as you gross the life where do you stand on minions, though? Pro. I'm fine with them. They're they're lovable enough. Okay. I'm also pro. I feel like they are benevolent chaos. In Dungeons and Dragons, they're chaotic neutral. Yeah. I know that they are the the minions of of Gru, the you know helpers of his oft waylaid evil plans. <laughs> they're like the uh, the penguins, you know, from Madagascar, who are also lovable. Well, we're all fans of Minions here Yep. on the, the Streamed and Streamed podcast. The voice you're hearing right now uh, in your ears, I am Chris Legg. I am the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. And as always, we have longtime entertainment reporter Bruce Miller, who is the current editor of the Sioux City Journal. And we also have Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal. Chris, if you're looking for takes, uh, you came to the right place. Absolutely. Yep. We need yeah. a, a little less uh, a little less conversation on this podcast, a little more action. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I think I do. Yeah. Jared has been doing a little planning. Yeah. He planned this sucker out. Uh oh, Bruce smells uh Bruce smells trouble. Yeah. Wise men say. There you go. <laughs> so we're here at Streamed and Stream Podcast talking about movies and TV shows that are that are coming out uh, shortly, if not out already, which is the case for Only Murders in the Building, which is coming out. Uh, it is out as oh, of now. right now, the, yep. the first two episodes, June 28th on Hulu, as we record this. Bruce, have you seen any? No, I just know that it's a new crowd. Shirley MacLaine, I believe, is in the, in the thing. It's a bunch of new people. So no, I have not. And it isn't because I don't have it. It's because I don't have the time. Jared, did you watch the first season? I did. And I, I really, really loved the, the first season of the show. The I mean, of course, the chemistry between, you know, Steve Martin and Martin Short in particular goes back decades and they're perfect. And Selena Gomez just like perfectly fit to uh, fit in right with them as well. So there's a big pitch for them now to get Emmy nominations. So you see a lot of attention uh, in the trade papers and, and other places. Consider this. I don't know that they really will have that much of a a showing. I think they will get nominated for some things, but I don't think that we're going to see Martin Short and Steve Martin and Selena Gomez nominated for acting prizes. It's just too tough of a year. It is a really tough year. The other side of it, though, and I think this is, you know, could go either way. So the first season, which came out last year, and it's, you know, set in this was like the Upper West Side or East Side, whatever, you know, fancy New York. The, you know, New York of, uh, you know, of a Salinger childhood. And these two older gentlemen live in a, live in this, you know, townhouse, I guess. Uh, and, and they're also joined by uh, Selena Gomez. And there's, there's a murder that, you know, kind of brings them all together. And they end up making a podcast about it that goes somewhat viral as uh, true crime podcasts are wont to do. Uh, and 
they you know kind of get to the bottom of it but it's also some some stray loose threads left over that connect one of the people to it and it, it came out of nowhere it i don't remember there being a huge push for the show ahead of time the first season and they could have ended after that but they're back and now they're stuck in that you know potential sophomore slump of how do we give more of the same while also elevating things and elevating the tension and elaborating further on these characters and building out this world that they live in it's like cabot cove all those people dying around murder she wrote you think who wants to live in this town they're all dropping dead well this is a dakota like building and if more than one person dies in there don't they all start talking and saying i think we've got to leave this doesn't look like a good place for us to be but you know it's a nice mix because i think that selena's real droll she kind of gives something she kind of is a calming influence on the other two and so that's kind of fun there is a uh Chris, as you were kind of talking about that with, you know, like the uh, second season and everything, there is even an interesting kind of almost meta type tension of uh, a second season, because obviously a lot of true crime podcasts have the same thing, you know, like Serial, everyone loves the the first season of that uh, podcast. And I don't think anyone could really tell you much about the second one at this point. So uh, for time in memoriam for true crime podcasts, it's been an issue of uh, doing a, a second season that people are as invested in. First two episodes of that are up already. And then the third episode will come out on July 5th, which everyone will get to uh, get to see them, which I don't, it'll be out by the time that we record next, we'll record next Tuesday, I guess, right? Um, you know, one of the standouts in the, in the first season was James Caverly, a deaf actor who, there was an episode where it was just done in silence. And I would like to see him nominated for uh, best guest actor Emmy, because I think that was really, that was a great episode and it showed that it could go outside of its own boundaries and do a little bit more. So we'll see. And I don't know if he'll be back for the next season, but could be, he could be there. He's now starring oddly enough in a um, deaf version of the music man. Yeah. That episode was really fantastic in that it broke the, the format of the show as much as, uh, as, as the format was to begin with, but it was you know, five, 10 minutes or so into that episode before I realized that the whole thing was just silent. And, you know, they didn't make a big deal out of it. It was legitimately part of the narrative. They gave him something to do that was meaningful and, you know, connected to the larger mystery that was, you know, around everything. And it was really great. It wasn't any kind of stunt casting or any sort of, you know, stunt plotting, I guess, in, in this case. They've done a good job with, of that in the first season also, with like just these little moments that are not necessarily typical for like the kind of comedy that this is usually these little like flourishes that don't seem that, that are definitely noticeable and, and a little showy, but not totally unbelievable for the tone of the show, which is, is hard to pull off. And I've, I was impressed by those too, like these, you know, moments of like conversations with dead people or, you know, those sorts of things. So they, they kind of know how to take the right risks. It seems at least from the first season. Yeah. So Godspeed to Only Murders in the Building Season 2. Hotly anticipated. And also hotly anticipated is Stranger Things Season 4, Volume 2, which I don't know what to say about other than, I mean, it's going to get seen. I think it's it's more tied into the current state of Netflix and, you know, six, the, the successes of, of that uh, or, or lack thereof. And I mean, it's, you know, potentially the end of the marquee franchise for, for Netflix and I'd, maybe an unintentional pun there with marquee, <laughs> seeing as how everything that they're doing with, you know, it, they're having to move more towards actually putting films in theaters. And then I, I know that that's on the table as a, you know, success for them. <laughs> My, my, my. And having commercials or whatever. So, yeah. How the tables have turned. Indeed. Yep. <laughs> but no, I, Chris, to be honest, I didn't even realize that the, the second half of the season was coming out this, this weekend. Like, I still haven't watched the first half of the season. I'll get around to it at some point. But, like, the, the run times and stuff were one of the reasons that I haven't watched it. It's just kind of daunting for TV to wa be watching that much. 
and then yeah i just I'll, I'll get to this this half at some point too but it certainly won't be the weekend it drops what do you think bruce stranger things how how strange are the things <laughs> yeah i just it's not in my wheelhouse i'm sorry to tell you that it's just it's just not my world yeah it's not you're not in, into the, the 80s nostalgia i think no i lived it so i don't need to relive it but i really you know i it is what it is it was good in the beginning but i think that the stuff that they've been showing lately it's their pandering and i think that the parents aren't like the way they used to be remember how feisty winona ryder was and how she really isn't that anymore i don't think everything that i remember of her from the first season and i guess you know the, as much of, of the second season as i i made it through um was you know just sort of the the very worried mother of the son who was sucked into the upside down uh and then came back out and then you know was having understandable problems with that uh you know the whatever you know post-traumatic uh post upside down traumatic stress disorder of the uh of the son who still doesn't have anything to do in the show in relation to any of the other characters i think in some ways this show is maybe now had and even maybe a little in the third season and obviously i can't speak for the fourth like i said because i haven't watched it but i wonder if this is running into some of the same problems that game of thrones did near the end where you know Game of Thrones had a, had a text to go off of until the, the final season or so. And then once they really kind of had to stake their own claim to some degree, that's when things ran off the rails. And, you know, a lot of the first season of Stranger Things and the second one even is, is pastiche and, you know, remixing all this stuff from the 80s. But at a certain point, like, you can't just keep only doing nostalgia mining. You really have to set some of your own tones and develop some of your own storylines and everything like that. And I wonder if that's maybe some of the problem with this too, is those sorts of uh, growing pains are finally really showing. The other thing, uh, the only other like really big thing that I'm seeing uh, that's coming out this weekend, that's I think going to Rizzle Dust is the Terminal List, which is coming out on Amazon Prime. It is, uh, it's from Anton Fuqua, Antoine, Fuqua, Anton Fuqua. I got the Fuqua right. I know that. <laughs> You're good on your Fuqua. Good on my yes. Fuqua. Terminal list. It's based on a book by a former Navy SEAL named Jack Carr. Uh, he's got a you know whole series of books that are you know coming out from this. Uh, the stars Chris Pratt. It's got Constance Wu and Taylor Kitsch, and looks very dad action kind of movie. The uh, who were the. Uh, like the, you know, dad thriller books, I guess the, you know, man cave type bookshelf posters and whatever. Please. Chris Pratt has been around too long. He needs to take a break. We see too much of Chris Pratt and one more series with him in it is not anything I need. Um, if you look at Andrew Garfield is taking a year off and I think that's a good thing. And Chris Pratt should do the same thing. I mean, is it just, we need the money? Is that all it's for? Cause I don't see any point in this at all. Well, I mean, this would have been something that, you know, would have been in development. I mean, it seems like a lot of the stuff that he's doing now outside of the franchises, which are, you know, extensions of contracts that have been in the works for, you know, close to 10 years, maybe with Jurassic Park and the, all the, the Marvel stuff that he's doing. And, you know, you kind of wonder like, eh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't need any of these things and I don't know what kind of, like, is he trying to do like a, a big career rebrand or, I mean, I, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like him, like the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff that he's doing seems the closest to his actual personality and everything else just feels, maybe, I mean, for all we know, maybe this is a one for them uh, type thing that's going to get, get his agents and, you know, managers paid. And to do that, we'll get the, you know, some, you know, one man show of him, you know, bringing Hal Holbrook's, uh, you know, Mark Twain to the stage or something like, I don't know, like the, the problem, Chris, is that he only does once for them, because unfortunately, Bruce, uh, he's not going to be taking a break because next year he's doing Guardians of the Galaxy three and the Mario movie that everyone has already endlessly made fun of. And I have no faith in being good whatsoever. Do you notice how he's getting canceled too? 
people are like sick of them and they start saying, I don't want Chris Pratt in it. It's like James Corden. They just are kind of bowing away out. They just say, I don't want them. And Chris I think Pratt, Chris Pratt, more like Chris had enough of that. How about that? There you go. You know, and I don't think he's good. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> smaller doses, smaller doses would be better. Yeah. Well, yeah, and I think I've talked about this before when we were talking about uh, the new like Jurassic World movie. Is that he's just doesn't seem to have the same kind of charm that he did in like earlier stuff that he was in, and like the the goofball kind of thing just has worn thin. So, I mean, I think some of that has to do with the shine, just in generally the shine coming off of him. Like the the franchises that we tolerate him the most in, or that he. I think excels in are the, you know, Marvel things, just because that's a, a fantastic character, full stop. And then everything else just doesn't have a, it doesn't end up being as artistically successful. Uh, and, and you end up, and I feel like he also, he's just kind of lost a lot of goodwill in general. Like the whole, like him and Anna Faris, like splitting up seems like it was uh, a strange, messy thing. Um, I would love to see him, you know, pull back and try to maybe restructure his, his image. But like you said, Jared, he's got, he's got a full slate of, you know, stuff that's, that's coming out after the fact. And, you know, we're never going to see, uh, you know, Chris Pratt from Parks and Recreation ever again. Chris, you know, it'll really turn it around uh, is uh, the untitled Garfield film that he's going to be. In. <laughs> yep. Can I throw one out that I kind of do like that's on Amazon? Of course. Just by mistake, I happened to drop into the lake. Have you seen the show advertises the lake? Oh, I, I thought you meant you fell into a lake. No, you, I, then we'd be gone. We wouldn't be talking because <laughs> I can't swim. So that, but it, the show is called The Lake, and it just started like this last week. And it's a, it looks like it's a Canadian production. At least it sounds like a Canadian production. And it's about this birth father who brings his biological daughter to the lake home that he used to have when he was a kid. They rent a house nearby because his evil sister, Julia Stiles, has kind of figured out a way to get control of it. So it's a lot of kind of coming of age uh, comedy slash it's Schitt's Creek without the good writing. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> that's well, that's, uh, that's real appealing. No, but it is without the warmth. It's interesting because I did watch like six of them in a row. Uh, they're very, they're very digestible. And um, the characters are cute and you think, okay, they're doing something here. And they do do a horror episode that's set at the lake that I thought was kind of fun. Hmm. Okay. So look at it. Amazon is called The Lake. Interesting. Um, Jared, I know, I yes. know that we've, we've all seen the new Elvis film. And we can talk we about have. that in just a second. But of the three of us, you're the only one who saw the black phone. So that is correct. What I mean, are you is it does it get a buy? Are we selling? What's the uh, we got, you know, what's the star rating here? Um, yeah, or does it rank no, I, on the, the Ethan Hawke meter? I would say on the Ethan Hawke uh, meter first, upper upper tier, not not the upper upper tier with like the you know sunrise sunset midnight movies or you know like training day stuff like that so maybe like below like second tier uh ethan hawk i should say i guess the thing that i ended up loving most about the movie and i enjoyed it quite a bit was they really did a good job of utilizing ethan hawk um and what i mean by that is that like in the opening parts of the movie like the first 30 minutes or so you don't actually see a whole lot of him. He's more kind of just on the periphery. And th this isn't really spoiling anything because like it's in the trailer that these kids get kidnapped. When the first couple kids get kidnapped in the movie, you don't see him doing it. All you see is like the van driving around in the background behind where the kids are or the van just sitting there in the parking lot with like the engine running as the kids are walking by. You don't see him until the main kidnapping happens in the movie. And I thought that that was a really smart choice because, you know, we all know that it's Ethan Hawke, but in keeping with a lot of horror things, you don't want to necessarily have your villain popping up right away. And even once he does pop up, he, it's not like he's in this basement the whole time having these conversations with this kid. Even once the action kicks off, he is used 
somewhat sparingly, I thought it, which was a really wise decision because then anytime he goes down to the basement to talk to the kid or the kid runs into him or whatever, it's all the more menacing. In particular, there's a scene where he comes down to the basement to talk to the kid and it's not entirely clear why he's having a conversation at this moment. And the underlying subtext is that there's like a, a fondness that he has for uh, this kid that is not uh, entirely wholesome uh, by any means. And like that only works because of the degree to which we're seeing him in the movie. So that was the main thing that I love a lot about the movie. And then I also just really love it actually felt like the seventies. It didn't just feel like we're doing a movie in the seventies. And the, the best way they did that was um, they utilized like some grainy footage and some really smart parts of the movie. And like these like weird flashbacks or these weird dreams, which I, I thought was smart, you know, they maybe could have done the whole movie like that, but then that might've gotten annoying or worn off as like a trick. Um, so I, I think they did that right as well. And then a couple of the scares, like even for someone who watches a lot of horror movies, a couple of them actually got me because they were just delivered like very efficiently and um, in an off kilter sort of way. So there was a lot I, uh, I really dug about uh, the black phone. Was it a good move for Ethan Hawke? I, I think it was because like I said, he, um, is used the right amount and he gets to be something he hasn't ever really been in any movies that I can remember, which is a, a bad guy and a very creepy and very menacing bad guy uh, at that. Now I hesitated to ask this, but was there more to it than that? I know last week I, I predicted, and I almost don't want to know the answer um, partly from a spoiling it for the audience, but also spoiling it for myself. Is there, is there a way to answer that question? <laughs> What I would say is that like um, not everything is in the is in the trailer and there are some like turns and stuff that I don't necessarily know if I'd use the word twist, but there are some turns and everything that I wasn't even entirely expecting. So good. I do like that. That that answers. Yes. Yes. I feel very happy with how that was parried and dodged and (laughs) handled. Good job. That's why I make the big bucks, Chris. You and me both, man. Yeah, it's been a it's been a big year for Ethan Hawke between Moon Knight, uh, The Northman, this. Good job, Ethan Hawke. A little less conversation. So yeah, let's talk about Elvis. We haven't discussed our feelings about this in any way, shape, or form, so I don't know where you're going to fall on it. Let's start. Did anybody really, really like it? Okay, we got Jared. Did Jared did really? Okay. Okay, Jared's in the in the pro column. I feel like I'm I, I'm I liked it. I'm gonna hold back on the really really, but just to to keep things in a in, in a jockeying order here. Uh, Bruce, were you just a, a thumbs down? No, 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 no. I liked it, but it was too long, and you could see that um, they were determined to have a villain. And so they did whatever they could to um, create one. And I don't think it's as cut and dried as the movie makes it out. Colonel Parker was manipulative. We know that. But I don't think he was as kind of <laughs> as Tom Hanks makes him. You know, there's just something there. And I also think there's a lot of revisionist history that's going on where they want to make it seem like Elvis was forced into doing this and he was kind of a puppet of everybody's. Yeah, I, he signed those contracts. I don't think he was working Vegas because somebody was standing over him with a knife or anything. He chose to do that. And then he also had a real extensive life that went from the good years, if you will, until his death that we don't get in this at all. There were other girlfriends that were in there and I didn't see them. There were kind of, if you will, second tier tours that he took and they don't show that. They don't show the decline of Elvis. And I get it. I understand who's behind all this, but I would have thought that if you're going to go two and a half hours long, you're going to have to include some of that in there and not just put it all at the doorstep of Colonel Parker and say, you know, because this guy was so mean. I mean, you could do this with Backstreet Boys or In Sync. 
the Lou Pearlman story could easily be the same thing if you really want to do this. But there are choices that are being made. And so I, I don't, that I didn't care for. I thought that Austin Butler was fine as Elvis. We've seen a lot of Elvises over the years. And I thought he was a fine one. They did a good job of if it was dubbing or marrying his voice with Elvis's. I thought that worked. It did sound like him, I thought. The visuals were great. And that Baz Luhrmann always does great visuals. The sets looked good. It looked time specific. I love the whole uh, singer special, the comeback special with was Leather Elvis. Loved all that because it gave me something I didn't really know. Yeah, I, there were parts of it that I was just enamored with. But boy, when it was like two and a half hours and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, this is like 1968. They never mentioned Nixon and all that stuff that he did with him that was kind of creepy that I thought, well, that would have been interesting. You know, there's stuff in there that I didn't see. To speak of Nixon a little bit, I think they did flash briefly on on Elvis's DEA agent badge. <laughs> <laughs> you know that you want that you want to know yeah. a little bit about that and even him kind of coming into the white house with a cape on please. and a gun that he got past the the secret service right. and trying to rat out the beatles if i remember that whole thing correctly he wanted to like narc on the beatles <laughs> yeah so you see where there it's it's clearly a glossy look at Elvis's life. And I don't think anybody could have done it more justice than Baz Luhrmann because he has that he's kind of in that wheelhouse where he can make life a little better than what it really was. Uh, so at least uh, for now, things could change because we're only into late June, but I have it in my top 10 for movies I've seen uh, so far this year. Um, I kind of would like to just see Baz Luhrmann now do this for a bunch of different musical acts. I want to see uh, Baz Luhrmann doing, uh, you know, the Beatles or maybe uh, Sinatra. I, I want to see him just tackle, you know, another major artist because I, I think he could um, pull it off again. Um, not everything in this works entirely, as Bruce was talking about a little bit. It was really insane to let Tom Hanks narrate the movie, considering what his accent is for the movie. I don't know that we needed him a to narrate and B to kind of book in the movie because there's a really beautiful. And I, I talked about the song uh, last week, I think, or a couple of weeks ago, the last song that Elvis performs in the movie would have been just a beautiful way to go out. Instead, then there's a little bit of a book in with Colonel Tom Parker. And I, I don't know that we needed that. And that's really kind of my big complaint. And then I guess the only other real complaint I had was, I just hadn't seen a Baz Luhrmann movie in a while. So my brain kind of had to rewire as I was like watching the first little bit of it. But once I kind of got oriented, I thought that the storytelling and like the visuals really picked up with like the first RCA session that happens in the movie, which is shown in this like really stark black and white. Um, and then that kind of just kicked off, you know, the two best stretches of the movie, which was him hitting his first bit of controversy. I think that's where some of the strongest stuff was. And then the comeback special, like Bruce talked about, those were really the places where the eccentricities of Baz Luhrmann kind of best melded with the, the source material, I thought. And then, yeah, with with, um, with Austin Butler, I thought he kind of just got better as the movie went along. And some of his most affecting stuff was the stuff where he's languishing in, uh, in Las Vegas, especially when he drunkenly tells uh, Colonel Tom Parker off. That was kind of my favorite beat in the whole uh, movie because there was just like such a desperation to that. So yeah, I, I don't think that ultimately it fell into a lot of the walk hard uh, pitfalls. I might be in total, totally off base by saying that, but the movie doesn't psychologize Elvis a lot. And I think because it doesn't do that, it's a little tougher to spoof in maybe. So yeah, it's more of just a big sprawling uh, movie about Elvis and Elvis yeah, being cool. Yeah. I mean, it didn't, it didn't really psych psychoanalyze anybody really. I mean, there wasn't any look into the interior life of everyone. I mean, Colonel Tom Parker is the, the narrator for better or worse, but he is a profoundly distrustworthy narrator. Like there, there is no, I mean, for the aspects being told from his perspective, he's clearly in, in denial. His quote unquote character, I guess, is very much in denial. And they make him look like a ghoul. They make him look like an absolute ghoul from like the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I was 
as interested by the scenes that they didn't show to kind of piggyback a little bit off of what Bruce was saying, you know, there, there wasn't a Ed Sullivan theater performance. There wasn't a, you know, talking with Nixon. And I don't know if those were dodged by Baz Luhrmann and the, you know, the, the production writing, you know, all that, because those have already been done or if that was just didn't fit, you know, the, the structure of the things that they wanted to talk about in general, the, the comeback special was phenomenal. The, the first, the Vegas thing before it went sour was really fantastic. And I, I mentioned this last episode and I think the, the movie even lived up to it a lot more than I even expected at the time, but this it felt as much a story of Elvis as it was a story of America, where you have Elvis being, you know, the, the first rock star of that level and, you know, rock and roll being a, you know, American uh, creation. And, you know, definitely it doesn't, the movie doesn't really dig into the, the politics of, of Elvis lifting a lot of his influences <laughs> without uh, direct attribution, maybe, which is a whole uh, semester-long college course that you could get into. But to have that aspect of America plus the Vegas aspect, which is another purely American you know, thing. I mean, there's a lot of ways where uh, it seems like the the ideal of Las Vegas from the standpoint of the casino owners and you know, brothel owners, whatever is, you know, this is, this is the best idea of, of American excess and going all the way back with Tom Parker being this, you know, sideshow huckster, basically. Um, I mentioned in one of the planning emails with you guys, this would make a great uh, double feature with Nightmare Alley because, and the film definitely puts a, puts spotlight on, uh, the idea of the geek, the geek being someone who, you know, is kind of picked up and then slowly reduced to, you know, biting the heads off chickens in exchange for, you know, bottles of whiskey. And that's another, you know, I don't want to say great, but it's certainly uh, an American, you know, tradition in a lot of ways, or at least in, in the most abstracted sense from, you know, storytelling. So yeah, the weakest link was Tom Hanks and, it matched the garishness. I mean, it had to be kind of pushed that far. And, and there's also a certain degree, because I know this, this film was screened at Graceland. The Elvis estate, you know, is, you know, thumbs up all about it. And I'm sure part of that has to do with the fact that Elvis is not, you know, seen as being incredibly complicit in all of the scenarios that, that he was in and being manipulated. And, and I don't know to what extent that is true, where the you know factual lines are on this i'm sure that there will be any number of scene by scene you know breakdowns you know listicles out there um you know vox.com kind of things but i enjoyed it for what it was yeah alvis fans will love it they will just love it i'll tell you though when they start talking about a star is born and that how he really wanted to do that but was kept as i remember that story he was afraid to go up against somebody like Streisand and do that kind of a film. It wasn't necessarily that, oh my God, I want to do this, but Colonel Parker's keeping me from doing, I don't think that was the case at all. And, um, you know, there were, there's revisionist history going on throughout this. And for better or worse, that's what movies are. They take history and skew it. And they can do that with this too. And that's fine. And we get the Elvis that we want. We want this happy Elvis. I wish that they weren't so obvious about Parker. I wish that he would have been in the background and you would just kind of think that he was the manipulator. He was the puppet master of this whole thing, but not so it's like, well, my God, he's in prison. He can't leave this world because he's got something over on him. And I, you know, really, I don't know. I wanted to see some of those those uh, peanut butter sandwiches that were fried up, and I wanted to see that kind of stuff. Last episode, the historical moment that Jared brought up of him and, and his buddies, the the Memphis Mafia, flying across <laughs> across America just to get dinner. <laughs> yeah, I want to see that as a one act play. You never saw him shoot a TV, and they point that out in Graceland, where you can see the the bullet shot through the screen. So come on. 
shot a TV in the he shot a TV in the in in the movie, didn't he? I didn't see him in in his uh, Vegas hotel. Yeah, when he's like in in the house. No, not in the house. No, not in the house. No, correct. Um, And there was no red velvet in the house, and that was in the latter years. It was all the way Priscilla had decorated it. So, like I say, you see that there was influence. Yeah. The, I um the closest I, I, parallel that I that I can go is winning time. I feel like winning time is another example of something that is distanced tremendously from actual historical fact. But as long as you approach it with that knowledge that things have been, you know, mutated and you know run through this hall of mirrors, um, you know, it's it's the same thing. It's it's just stylistically fantastic. Um the you know the the remixes of of stuff. I'm 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 here for. Uh, I've been a you know the, the Baz Luhrmann has always done with his movies. Um, you know, always worked for me. His his movie preview thing where he kind of rushed through all of those films that he did, those crappy films that I used to always see on a Saturday night. Um, that was good because it was like it was a movie preview, and I liked that. And I didn't have to kind of oh, and now he's going to be with. You know, Anne Margaret. Oh, now he's with Shelley Fabray. Oh, we didn't have to go through all that. We kind of got the sense of it. And that was a good way of handling that. Well, and you got the sense that a lot of those movies were crap. Were crap. Yeah. It was the same movie, just with new songs that were awful. And, um, you know, a different kind of a take. He was a mechanic. He was a this. He was a that. Whatever. Not not entirely awful songs because Blue Hawaii did give us Can't Help Falling in Love. So but mostly you know, awful songs. Come on. Some of those yeah. ones. And Viva Las Vegas, I like that song. But you look at some of those girl happy and clam bake. That. That's the one I always go back to. Clam bake. Clam bake. Yeah. I do think just to come back to it, since we've all kind of talked about it in various forms and fashion, it, it did make sense. And I thought it was kind of smart to maybe not necessarily get into politics stuff on any deep meaningful sense or do a lot of psychoanalyzing because like Elvis wasn't that like political of a guy and like even in like his interviews and stuff he didn't ever reveal that much about himself so he kind of felt like a cipher sometimes even when he was alive so it makes sense that the movie wouldn't even necessarily do a lot of that we're all generally positive i don't know if it'll make my my top 10 of the year i'm i don't know i'm 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 still i'm still chewing on it but I think the the ultimate question is whether or not I'm chewing on it because or whether or not I'm chewing on it for reasons that are <laughs> uh, intended by the film, maybe. And I mean, just like you were saying, where Elvis, you know, wasn't so much a, a political person, um, you know, outside of the most vague sense of right and wrong. Uh, I, I don't feel like Baz Luhrmann really is either. No. And, you know, that's not necessarily a, a problem. Um, it's just, I feel like it's someone who doesn't have a lot of, you know, political access to grind, taking on a subject that didn't have a lot of political access to grind. And um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly, I would have been fascinated to see the alternate reality where, you know, Elvis did in fact have the ability to craft his own direction, I guess, and not have been surrounded. But I don't know. I mean, it's well, we'll, and, ne- we'll never get that. And and that is a, a weird thing that is, is hard sometimes to understand what his place even is in like popular culture now, because he didn't, you know, write pretty much any of his own songs. He didn't come up with the music for most of his own songs. So like all you have is just him on the actual recordings and that's, that's the extent of it. So even forming those kinds of connections are a little bit difficult too. So Bruce, did we have an interview this week? We do. We we talked to Henry Thomas. Do you remember E.T.? E.T.'s little friend? Yes. Well, Henry Thomas, it's 40 years. We talked with Henry about E.T. You'll hear about that. But we also talked about his new direct, I think it's direct-to-video, a uh, film called Crawl Space, where he plays a plumber who goes on, you know, an assignment and then realizes that above him is a big drug dealer who's trying to pull out a big drug heist. And when he finds out that the plumber is down below, he tries to kill him. Which is, is fitting for Henry Thomas. Cause I think I talked to you about this, Bruce, before you interviewed him, that 
he's had a great like second life in a lot of uh horror movies he was in a really good one from the 2000s called dead birds which is like a civil war horror movie he's been in a couple movies of uh mike flanagan's he was in dr sleep uh the you know sequel to the shining and uh gerald's game so this kind of movie is like right up his alley and he says that he wants to hang with mike flanagan because he says he does good things with him Mm -hmm. and um so you'll you'll get a wide range of kind of the reasons behind it but um i said this is the reason why we can't get a plumber right because they're too busy dealing with these kinds of things and he said yeah that's it so that's what we have this week and then you'll hear about et and what that was like and how um he looks back on it now 40 years later yeah we'll be back with that shortly so stick around i gotta ask you is this why i can't get a plumber You know, even even plumbers must have their day. You know, I I I fully now recognize what my problem has been. It's me when they're trying to stop a killer, stop a drug dealer. That's how it all works. But how is it working in a confined space? Is that difficult? I, I'm not good with tight spaces, and I, it was a concern going into this actually. But it was built on a set. Uh, on a stage for the for the most part so the crawl space was a set it was easy to get in and out of but it 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 was claustrophobic being in there uh after the after the second week i was ready to be done with it yeah we're done with this right well how is acting alone that's another thing i would think would be very difficult well early on in my career i i had a big foray into that with a little movie called et I think I remember that. Yeah. So I was uh, I I was prepared for that. The good thing was that the other actors, uh, Bradley Stryker and 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 Ernst C. Ernst Hearth, they uh, they played the villains in in Crawl Space. They were on set for off camera uh, when I was in the Crawl Space set, and I was there for for their off camera for the most part. So you could hear them. It wasn't like, oh, no, now I'm supposed to imagine that he's going to be like this. And that's how it goes. Yeah, it was a little bit. uh, I mean, of course, there's always that that element uh, to filmmaking, especially when you're dealing with um, specific genre work. But but, uh, you know, this was uh, this was bearably uh, believable from the from the standpoint of the actors like you could be in the basement and hear the other guy and that helped out a lot how did you play all those injuries that's another thing i thought oh my god he's been shot in this arm and he's shot how do you do that well the funny thing was that we uh i was i was playing a lot of injuries and i was trying to keep track of all of the injuries because you know robert he gets injured quite a bit in in through the course of this but uh one of the injuries that I was playing, like we ended up not having time to, to, to cover it. So it wasn't included. So I have a fake injury that I was, uh, that never made it to the screen. Oh, darn, darn. Well, does it get easier? Is it easier to, to play these kinds of roles or not? For me, it was fun because I don't have an opportunity to, to do these kinds of, of films very often. And, and that was part of the appeal you know i thought hey this could be uh this could be a fun a fun genre and 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 a great character and i love the one-liners and 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 the zingers and and the comedic aspect of of the back and forth uh you know between sterling and robert yeah oh yeah it's it's very fun it's uh, the torment is really kind of fun to see. I know that sounds terrible, but I, no, I, but it, I enjoyed that aspect of it. Yeah, it's a, it's appealing because it is, you know, it is a little bit like, like Home Alone in that sense. Right, know? right, 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 right. A bit darker, well, you know. Taking you back to those forty years ago, did you really think that the career would happen this long? Would be this long? It would be this very. I mean, I don't know if I thought I would ever 
be as old as I am back then. You know, I thought, you know, I thought 30 was really old. Right. Uh, so, but no, I, you know, I didn't picture myself where I am for sure. Um, I think I thought I would be much more successful than I, than I am. But I also, I, I think I thought I would be retired at this point, you know? I sure. didn't think that I would be continually uh, acting. Is it still fun? Oh, yeah. It's fun. I mean, I have fun with it. Um, and I enjoy, I enjoy doing, um, doing films like this. I really love seeing the audience's reaction. I really love hearing... Um, feedback about it. it that's always been the appeal you know because it's kind of cool we're sort of magicians in a way like we go away and we create this thing and then we come back and show it to everybody and just kind of wait and it's fun it's uh it's always been sort of mysterious and and cool to me you know, I, I compare you to an Olympic athlete in that you have this big success very early on in your life, and people want you to continue to remember that. And yet life goes on and there are different things that happen. How do you see it? Is it that way? Is it such that where you think, oh, I don't want to talk about it anymore? Or no, I uh I quite I quite like it. I I think it's nice to be associated with something that was so successful but also the world embraced that film um because it spoke to everyone and that's that's a very unique uh and very rare thing uh you know all over the world that can film spoke to people can you watch it though removed or when you watch scenes you know remember when I, we did that and I remember that no but I don't I don't watch it like I think the the easiest way to explain it is other people watch it for me what do you think of yourself as a kid actor do you say he was really good uh at times yeah yeah there were things that that I did really well um and I was I was very good in the role of of Elliot, you know, uh, but a lot of that was, uh, you know, Spielberg and, and, uh, you know, his filmmaking. So I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of, I feel like I'm always trying to explore and grow as an actor. And right. I think that I was doing that as a kid. I've always done that. So it's fun to watch me when I was a kid for myself, where I am now, just for perspective. Because you, would you let your own children go into the business or do you say, no, 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 that's never happening? I've urged them all against it, but I have one that may, you know, not listen to me because she's never listened to me. So. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, you and you've also done a lot of thrillers lately. Is that just it's a not intentionally? Or? No, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of just working where Flanagan is working because he hires me so much, and also uh, because consequently, people who know Mike Flanagan or are fans of of his or 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 work in the in the same genre they want to hire me because they like him so you know it's kind of uh it's just kind of a coincidence well what's that relationship like with the two of you is it it's great you know i mean we've done eight projects together now which is crazy and uh i've never I've never had a working relationship with anybody like this. So um, it's exciting and, and it's nice, you know, it gives you a sense of, uh, of, of security in the sense that, you know, somebody, uh, 
somebody's a fan of yours and sure. going to hire you on their next projects. So that's nice. Uh, but, you know, Mike has a lot of things going and, and he's got a lot of irons in the fire and, uh, you know, I would like to, fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. No, but I, I, I also want to do, you know, some more serious work that's not in the, the genres that I've been working in, you know, I would like to do some, some smaller films or European films, things like that. But well, it's going to happen. I know it's going to happen, but yeah, I think it, I think it will, you know, I just, um, it's important. It's important for me to stay interested in, in acting, uh, because it's easy to lose interest with a lot of the material, but it's also, I mean, this is always the conundrum, you know, it's also important to have a, a commercially viable, I guess, aura around your career sure, so that sure. so that you can get a variety of work. Well, hey, thank you so much. Even going back 40 years, thank you so much. I appreciate it, but- Hey, I, I appreciate that, uh, that, that you can say that. <laughs> and if I need a plumber, I'm calling you. All right, well, watch out. You might get more <laughs> than just a plumbing job. Not that good, not that good, huh? Thanks so much. Have a good one. You too. So that's gonna do it for this episode. Uh, we'll be back next week with, with more good stuff. I don't think we're going to have a bonus episode this week in, in the same sense. We'll probably, I think I'm going to dig up an older episode of us talking about patriotic films, maybe. Yep. It'll be interesting to, to revisit, but I'll unearth that from the archives. And uh, yeah, wish everybody out there a, a happy 4th of July weekend. Hope you get some sun. Go hang out with the minions. Jared, you got any uh, parting thoughts? Any Any last words here? I'm sorry, I made that sound like we're walking you to the <laughs> to the gallows. <laughs> Jared, did you get the black phone for us? I think it's ringing. <laughs> I'm going to be summarily executed by a group of minions any moment now. That'd be the worst way to go. Just, <laughs> just their happy little visages as I'm just hurled. If you find yourself, you know, down at the end of a, of a street, maybe Lonely Street, and you're looking for a way to just, you know, Brighten your day a little bit, maybe uh, get in a better mood. You know, movies are, are a great way to just uh, cheer up because they speak to these uh, connections that we all have as people. So uh, get uh, get off a lonely street and uh, go to your local Cineplex and uh, see something good, although not any of the movies that Elvis himself was in because most of those were not good. Or uh, stay at home, maybe order a, a PB&J and bacon uh, sandwich and uh, screen something good at home. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe. If you have not already, you get that fun little uh, bonus episode. We are coming out every single week. We'll have links to all the movies that we talked about in the show notes. Find them there. Anything that we mentioned will also be in there. Thank you to Bruce. Thank you to Jared. Thank you to Henry Thomas for his time. And see something good. <laughs>